Lords, Spectres, whatever you want to call them, they've been around for thousands of years. Apparently she died from a tooth infection in one of the upstairs rooms in the house. As in the locations they haunt. History of a Haunting podcast tells you all about these famous, infamous, and almost famous locations. And why they became terrifying places to visit. Grab a glass of wine and settle in with your hosts, Archie. I mean, that was definitely the wrong thing to do. And Carrie. Nobody asked for it, Carrie. Nobody fucking asked for it. But hey, my podcast, and I'll say what I fucking want. (laughs) Two people just winging it in life and this podcast. So enjoy this week's episode of History of a Haunting. Welcome back to History of a Haunting. I'm Carrie. I'm Archie. And we have our brand new recurring guest host, Laura Ackerman. Hi, Laura. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Archie. Hey. <laughs> hey. So, Laura's a friend of ours. We've been friends for a few years, and we, Archie and I wanted to bring a different perspective to the show. So, we talked amongst ourselves, and then we were like, let's ask Laura. Do you think she'd do it? I don't know. I don't know if she'll do it. Well, we might as well ask her. Let's just see. So uh, I talked to Laura, and I'm like, what do you think? And she was super excited to join the team. And so she's going to bring a, um, a skeptic's perspective to the show, um, which we had mentioned when we promoted her in the last episode, that she's a skeptic. She's not a non-believer, which are two very, very different things. Um, so Laura, I'm going to shut up and talk to me a little bit about um, what your skepticism, like where it comes from and like exactly like what you're skeptical of and like, do you believe in cryptids or no? Do you believe in UFOs? Do you think ghosts are a thing or not? Like, how do you need to be convinced? I guess. Well, for me, it's more about the actual evidence, you know? So for the ghosts, I mean, I've seen some stuff that is really interesting could be, you know, on the borderline of, of being convincing. But a lot of it, I think, is just not convincing. It can be easily explained right. with science or situational, you know, outside of what is happening. Sure. Or, you know, you're, they're trying to create. So I think a lot of it kind of has to go through, like, a bullshit detector. You know, like... <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> so, love that. You know, and a lot of stories, you know... I mean, I love the stories, but... And they're fun. You know, they're always fun. Whether or not how believable they are, it's always interesting to hear. And I love the history part of it. Um, But really, I think the big thing is it has to be something like tangible, you know, Mm -hmm. that I can, I know I'm not going to be able to touch them or see them, but, you know, and possibly like more personal experiences if I had that. Um, Okay. Growing up, my mom believed in ghosts. And oh, cool. told me that our house was haunted that I grew up in. Really? Um, I lived in a very old house outside Chicago, and my mom was absolutely convinced. <laughs> so I, you know, I grew up believing in ghosts. But as I got older, it's more about the tangibleness of like, can you really hear that EVP? Is it really like clear, you know, or is it just sure. like wind or somebody shuffling their feet, you know, or just some weird electromagnetic thing caught on there, you know? That hurts your stomach gurgling. Right, exactly. This is part, like... <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true, too. And I think... Um, I, lo- I love I love that about your, your take on it because a lot of the 
professional paranormal investigators that Archie and I have become friends with through doing the podcast are kind of the same way as you. Like they want a scientific explanation for the different occurrences and things that go on in various locations. Um, And they've taught me how to look at it from a scientific perspective as well. Um, So you're right, though. There are some locations that have stuff happen that you're like, maybe, uh, I don't know. Like, I need a little bit more um, background, a little bit more... Yeah. More evidence. Yeah. And I think nowadays it's so cool to be like a haunted location, right? It's like mm-hmm. a marketing ploy. So I think a lot of times you get <laughs> businesses like hyping up, you know, like these stories and this like, come to our haunted hotel or come to our haunted restaurant or bed and breakfast, you know? Yeah. And I think sure. it gets a lot of the stories get embellished and kind of hyped up. I agree. And I think that the, with all of the influx of paranormal reality shows on TV now, Mm-hmm. that's kind of saturated that notion as well, especially with, um, and everybody knows that I am not a huge Ghost Adventures fan because they like to lean more into the theatrics of it um, in just the way they approach their investigations and the way they handle everything and the way they even narrate the show. Zach Bagans loves himself a, is this the demon that, and like real slow and drawn out. And um, so I think that, that, that it tends to automatically in people's minds discredit the field because they're not like being logical about it. They're not being realistic about it. Right. He's like the TMZ of ghost hunting. You know, like, (laughs) (laughs) that is exactly right. Yes. Yeah. Isn't that perfect? (laughs) I love it. Yeah. So, um, okay, great. Well, this is going to be wonderful. I'm super excited. We've got this episode to record and then we're doing a double recording. Um, so on our next, uh, I think you're really going to like the next location that we do. Um, and I, like I had told you the other night, I picked it with you specifically in mind. All right. I'm excited. Yeah. So, um, Real quick, I do want to ask you, what are some of your favorite podcasts? What are some other podcasts besides us, of course, that our listeners should check out if they don't already know them? What are some of your favorites? Um, well, of course, this is number one in my heart. Of course. <laughs> um, I also listen to My Favorite Murder, but that's, you know, of course. neither nor there. Um, Someone Knows Something oh. is a good one. Um, I listen to like Freakonomics Radio, uh, Risk, which is like individual stories. Every episode is a little bit different, different kind of stories told by the people that live them. And it's everything from people who went through like a a crime to just, you know, some uh, event that happened to them and they tell the story. It's pretty cool. That sounds amazing. Um, Yeah. So just kind of that, that vein. I do do some true crime stuff and I kind of play around. I do some help. (laughs) <laughs> Some self-help books too. <laughs> Little Brene Brown never hurt anybody. <laughs> never ever hurt anybody right. ever. Revisionist history is a good one. Just you know, Ooh, cool. on it, I guess. Yeah, and there it truly is a podcast for everybody. Oh my gosh, it's it's almost frightening. Actually, I'm kind of concerned about some of these. Right. <laughs> Who is listening to this? <laughs> we had um, for our one year anniversary we had uh, answered some questions that we had gotten over the year that fans or listeners had asked us. 
And one of them was um, like, if we weren't doing this paranormal podcast, what kind of other podcasts would, be, we, would we be doing? And of course mine was true crime. And Archie was like, oh, I don't know. I really like maps. And he was like, nobody would watch that. I'm like, I would listen to that. I'm like, I feel like you're wrong. I feel like <laughs> there is an audience for a map podcast. You would have 10 solid listeners, I think. For oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> for sure. Sheldon Cooper, for one. Right. I'm sure Sheldon Cooper would be one. <laughs> I'm all nerdy as, as it is. I also like maps. I would listen. <laughs> there you go. There's your co-host, Arch. All right. There all right. we go. Let's do this. Let's do this. Okay. Well, Laura, we're very excited to have you here, and we thank you very much for coming on this journey with us. Um, we hope you're excited. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, the podcast, we, Archie tells the history, I tell the hauntings, we interject, we interrupt, we sip on our drinks, we're sarcastic, you know, it's just three friends sitting around talking ghost stories. So yeah, that's, that's that on that. Um, is there anything else you would like to tell folks, Laura, or no? Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Okay. Please forgive me. Now I'm alarmed. No, you should be. <laughs> okay, but it's okay. I can mute her. It's, I've got the right. little. I've got the mute control here. It's fine. She goes off the rails, Arch. I'll just click. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so Arch, let's go over some of our EVPs. Okay, okay. We've got a, a few of them. Um, I did want to talk about so. Because we not really have partnered with, but we've become very, very good friends with Tony and Cherie Rathman of Entity Voices Paranormal Evidence. Um, they did their event on the Queen Mary over Halloween. And about a week or so ago, they did the Queen Mary live results with the Dark Zone TV. And so they just kind of recapped some of the evidence that they caught. And I'm not, if you guys want to watch it, you can. It's on the Dark Zone TV's um, Facebook page, all of that fun stuff. But I did want to talk about something. They did tell us an interesting story about room B340 on the Queen Mary that I didn't know about. And I don't think most people knew about it. But Arch, you and I had talked about it in the Queen Mary episode that they were just reopening that cabin mm-hmm. at the time we did our episode, which is about a year ago now. Um, but apparently, <laughs> I didn't realize this but apparently disney used to own the ship did did we know that did you cover that in history i didn't know that okay so disney used to own the ship and they had turned certain sections of the ship into like a haunted house attraction like you know that you go to and you, you want to pay people to scare you that kind of haunted house thing well i guess what they had done in room b340 was they had added a bunch of animatronic stuff to the room. So like <laughs> the sound of knocking on walls, the sound of whispering, the like lights were rigged to flicker and stuff because it was part of this haunted, haunted ship attraction. Nice. And then there was a panel in the room where the tour guide could control the different like jump scare type of things in the room. And when Disney sold the ship, they they cut the power whatever to that panel so that like obviously the the stuff didn't work anymore but i guess they didn't bother to tell the new owners so when the new owners bought the ship and powered it down to re, like restore it and renovate the ship and the rooms when they powered it back up that room turned on <laughs> and those panel that panel was turned on so guests were staying in the room and then 
the lights were flickering and they were hearing knocking on the walls and they were oh, hearing whispers <laughs> and they freaked out and they kept reporting ghostly activity in this room. <laughs> so that is the best thing I've ever heard. Isn't it? <laughs> That's, That's amazing. I was like, what the hell? I had no idea. So they, they realized like what was going on and what had happened. And so they were able to like pull all of that stuff out of the room that Disney had put in there. And, but then I guess for whatever reason, after they did that, their thinking is that it must have awoken some of the spirits that actually are on that floor of the ship because now the room is genuinely haunted. So then people, they still were getting complaints. And so they ended up closing the room off because they were getting so many complaints about like people sitting on that foot of the bed. They'd be in bed and somebody would sit at the foot of the bed and you'd see like a butt imprint in the bed and stuff that like Disney hadn't put in the room. (laughs) (laughs) So... (laughs) So they closed it off and they kept it closed for years and years and years. And then they just reopened it last year and it's a suite now. And, and we had mentioned in the episode arch that when you book the room, the queen Mary gives you this, this like box of goodies and in it is a crystal ball and a Ouija board and uh, what else? Tarot cards. So they've opened it up and now they're like really playing on the whole, this room is haunted. And they caught a lot of evidence during this Queen Mary live that they did over Halloween. They caught a lot of that evidence in the room, but I just found that the most amazing hysterical story. I had no, I like, I had no idea that Disney had even ever owned that ship. Yeah. Let alone did that. And then, yeah. And then all of a sudden the, the new owners were like, uh, you could have told us. <laughs> <laughs> Put some shit around. Aren't there disclosure agreements and all that good stuff? I mean, you'd think there would be. Um, Aren't you kind of jealous that you weren't one of those people that were in that room when all the Disney stuff was in there? Yes. It would have been amazing. (laughs) I mean, fake, but pretty awesome. (laughs) I know, but could you imagine, like, I wonder how long, like, how many complaints and guests had to go through that before they, like, poked around and were like, what's happening over here? Imagine how scarred those people are now. (laughs) because <laughs> i wonder if they called them back later and were like oh by the way um sorry about your first experience and i wonder nightmares yeah. for the past year but right um so i wanted to tell everybody about that because i thought it was just it's just one of those like little tidbits about a famous location that most people don't know. Um, okay, so that was the first EVP I wanted to go over. And then I don't know, Arch, if you saw or either one of you saw on the Facebook page, we had, while we were on hiatus, we were showcasing some of our um, most popular episodes. And the last one we did was Haunted Objects. So I don't know if you guys saw, there was <clears throat> a guy had commented that the Divic box, he went to go see it in Zach Bagan's Haunted Museum in Vegas. Did you guys see that? Mm-mm. Let me see if I can find it. I got to find it really quick. But I I just had to bring it up because he actually, the box made him sick, Um, which I thought was horrifying and also like utterly fascinating. Like I I have no shame. So I was asking him, (laughs) my God, what happened? And and like the whole bit, Um, here we go. So he said, 
he commented, um, Robert, Annabelle, and the Dybbuk. The Dybbuk at Zach's museum messed me up. It's the real deal. And I said, I had commented, oh my God, are you okay now? And he said, yes, it gave me nausea and temporary blindness. My wife had to guide me out. She told me we should never go back, but I've been to Zach's a couple of times. (laughs) (laughs) Typical guy. And I'm like, whoa, that's the worst case I've ever heard of anyone having that had visited it, except maybe Post Malone. (laughs) Glad you're okay now. (laughs) Glad you're okay now. He's like, thanks. He's like, I'm already blind in one eye. It cleared up when we got to the parking lot, but it was scary to lose vision from the only one you've got. I thought that was insane. Yeah. I've heard of people getting nauseous. I've heard of people getting nauseous when they have gone there. And some of the items that he has in that museum are fucked up. They're super, there's one doll he has. I won't even mention the doll's name because I don't even want that kind of attention from the doll. (laughs) It's ridiculous. But his is probably one of the worst experiences I've ever heard of of people visiting in like the Dibbit box and having that kind of a reaction to it. So I will say a lot of, a lot of people get nauseous when they're in Vegas. I mean, (laughs) from other reasons. (laughs) I wonder if Zach serves alcohol. Like maybe that's the reason. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've been also blind in Vegas. (laughs) I know I have. (laughs) Arch, how about you? I've never been to Vegas. I know. Right. I mean, Record skip. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) We're both like, what? Seriously? I'm sorry, what? Yeah. I've never been to Las Vegas. I feel a road trip coming on. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if it, you know, if it's open, who knows? Archie went to San Francisco and they shut it down. Good job, Arch. (laughs) (laughs) Before I went. (laughs) (laughs) Um... And then the last thing that I, so that's the other EVP. The last thing I wanted to talk about, I sent you guys a, a little screenshot. Um, Ghost Adventures is going to be doing a, uh, I don't know what we want to call it. Like, I guess it's a two hour special investigation episode um, on the Discovery Channel. They're going to be investigating the Hotel Cecil, which as we all know, is no longer the Hotel Cecil. It was this day on Maine. But now it's closed temporarily while the new builder, were they turning it into Archie condos or whatever? Yeah, I think it's condos, little studio apartment condos. Okay, so I guess Zach Bagans and the Ghost Adventures team are going to be going there. And they're going to be doing an investigation of the hotel. And it sounded like they were going to put a lot of emphasis and focus on trying to find the spirit of Elisa Lamb. Um, And I know that when the three of us were talking last night, like, we're all familiar with who that is. Um, for our listeners, uh, I'm sure all of you have listened to every single episode of History of a Haunting. We did cover the Hotel Cecil, and we did touch on Elisa Lamb and her death there at the at the hotel. But I wanted to, because I was reading some of the comments in the post about how exploitative it is and how most people seem to think that it was her mental illness that led to her death. So I wanted to kind of have a quick little conversation about that and just kind of see what you guys think about, if he wants to go to the Hotel Cecil, it's my opinion, fine, go. There's a lot of shit going on there. Lots of folks died. But to focus on this one, I think, is just, I feel like it's super tragic. Um, There is a conspiracy theory floating around that the spirits of the Hotel Cecil 
made her do that and climb into that water tank. There's um, any number of, she was playing the elevator game and that's what, you know, ended up killing her. And I just think that um, their, their focus seems to be on her. And I don't know, I don't know how great that is. I don't think it's that great at all. Like you used a word that I completely agree with earlier when you said exploitive. Yeah. I, 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 don't like that they're doing this. I, I, I find it offensive, frankly. But whatever they do, whatever they need to do to make that dollar, I guess. But I guess it's very exploitive. I agree, one hundred percent. The story is very sad and very tragic, and I really feel for this girl's family that it keeps getting brought up and dragged back out. Mm-hmm. For people to exactly make a dollar, exploit that story when it really is pretty obviously that she I mean, had does. some sort of issue. There was issues with the room where she was staying with a bunch of people. They moved her into a room on her own. You can see the video. She's mm-hmm. the way she's walking, the things that she's doing. It really looks like she's having some sort of episode, I mean, and it ended so. tragically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's terrible. I, Archie, I think you're right. Um, so when I when I saw that it was um, good old Zach Bagans, I was not surprised at all that that's the group doing this. Mm. And that's what I think is like, I mean, he may be a very legit paranormal investigator or what have you, and, and his team may be as well. But again, this I feel like these are the folks that kind of give the whole industry and the whole community like a bad rap. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that and his whole stupid—he wanted to investigate. What the hell is that tiger dude show place? Joe, what's his name? Joe Tiger, or what was uh-huh. that guy's name? Yeah, Joe Tiger. I think. <laughs> Joe Exotic. Joe Exotic. Joe Exotic. There you go. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, just you know, I don't know. Just really, just kind of dumb, dumb stuff like that. But I, yeah, I. I, you, Arch, you and I have made it, we've worked really hard to, to um, stand on the side, show that we stand on the side, side of, of mental health, the Pennhurst Asylum um, episode in Trans-Allegheny and, and, and things like that. Um, so when I saw this, I was like, no, no, this is, this is bad because I, I think it is the, the general consensus. And I actually think with the, the criminal investigation case of her, I think they all came to the conclusion that she was in the, having a manic episode and somehow ended up, granted there was a, a laundry list of negligence that the hotel had done, right. like having that door unlocked and maybe not having those, those water tanks locked or sealed or something, but she was clearly in the midst of one when she ended up up in that water tank. So I think it's, um, I think if they had just left her out of it, that would have been fine enough. That would have been okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Now that I brought it way down and it's not fun anymore. (laughs) 
I know it's time to do your part. No. <laughs> I'm going to bring this shit back on track. <laughs> now that we brought it to a screeching hole, here's Archie. <laughs> yeah, our biggest, dig us out of this hole, Arch. Come on. Well, let, let's talk about our Patreon of the week, and that will be Steve. Yay, Steve. Thank you Thanks. so much. We certainly appreciate generosity of Steve and all of our Patreons. Um, by the time this episode airs, which is Saturday, December 12th, everybody will have gotten their holiday gifts. They were Krampus-themed. Krampus night uh, is actually tonight, December 5th. So, um, yeah, we, we, we love you and we appreciate all of you and we hope you enjoyed the gifts. And uh, to that end, Arch, let's go ahead and we're going to take a quick little break. And then when we will be right back, you can tell Laura and everybody where we're taking them today. Okie dokie. Okay. Okay. Okay, Arch, why don't you go ahead and tell Laura and the folks where we're taking them today. This is actually going to be, I like that she doesn't ever know where we're, go- where, what we're talking about. She's very well-traveled, so I'm curious to see if she's familiar with some of these locations. Because... Bitch has been everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet, but it's on the list. Well, you had so Laura works with me at Fairway now, and so they put her on the spot in the branch meeting yesterday, and they asked her like, "What's an interesting fact that people don't know about you?" And she's like, "I like to travel, and I've been to like thirty or forty countries." I'm like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Jesus Christ!" So it'll be interesting to see if she's heard of this place, or she, maybe she's even like you know been there. All right. Okay. Let's find out. Today's episode, we are talking about the Fairmount Banff Springs Hotel in Banff, Alberta, Canada. Laura? I have not been to Banff, but I would like to go. It looks beautiful. I I do. I would love to go, too. I would love to travel all through the mountains around there. Mm -hmm. It's gorgeous. I found found my information on historichotels.org, and here we go. Oh, that's it? Just that whole... Yeah. Oh, really? Usually you have a couple of sites. No, this I mean, one is pretty, pretty good, pretty succinct. Cool, okay. Uh, William Cornelius Van Horn, the general manager of the Canadian Pacific Railway, first considered constructing a grand hotel in the Canadian Rockies when several employees of his railroad stumbled across several mining springs in 1883. Noticing a great opportunity to facilitate travel along the Canadian Pacific Railway, Van Horn immediately set about constructing a brilliant grand dame that would be one of the world's most luxurious. As such, he commissioned blueprints for an impressive hotel that would be situated at the convergence of the Bow and Spray Rivers. Architect Bruce Price led the design team who relied upon Chateau-esque style architecture as the source of his inspiration. I like how, I'm jumping in now, Um, (laughs) I like how they call a chateau, like this place, it's not a chateau. It's more like a castle. It is, and I I remember when when Buckingham Palace was just, before it was Buckingham Palace, it was also considered like a chateau, or even Versailles was considered like a chateau, but they were these ginormous huge little mini castles like to me a chateau mm-hmm. is like i guess what people call cottages mm-hmm. well construction <laughs> commenced in 1886 and concluded some two years later 
As soon as it debuted as the Banff Springs Hotel in 1886, it rapidly became one of the top three mountain resorts in North America. From 1900 to 1920s, several adjustments were made in order to update the hotel and its offerings to keep its long-standing status. Among the first construction projects undertaken around that time was the development of the hotel's iconic 11-story tower. Designed by architect Walter Painter, it possessed an amazing array of woodwork and limestone native to Alberta. Yet, much of this work was significantly compromised when an accident afflicted the entire hotel in 1926. It it burned to the ground, basically. The entire hotel? The entire hotel burned to the ground in 1926. Fortunately, an engineer of the Canadian Pacific Railway, John W. Orock, restored the hotel back to its former glory. He managed to unify the appearance of the Banff Springs Hotel, giving it the current facade that is present today. The hotel continued to endure through the Great Depression, and its stature never diminished. It continued to host countless luminaries from throughout the world as well, including King George VI and his wife, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, during their royal tour of Canada in 1939. All right, Carrie, well, I was informed over our little impromptu break that Essentially, Chateau is castle in French. Okay. Well, there we go. World Thanks traveler. <laughs> oh, yeah. Also, she speaks French. Maybe oh. this wasn't the best idea. <laughs> I don't miss know-it-all. <laughs> I don't really speak French. I do a very, very bad job of trying to, which is still fun. <laughs> so on our next, she can be the one to do our next French location. Oh, perfect. And by the next one, well, no, we did Versailles. We did Versailles, that's right. Okay, okay. sorry, go on. <laughs> I'm already like, okay, assigning Laura fucking locations to cover. <laughs> the Banff Springs Hotel briefly shut down in 1942 as a result of the scarcity and labor wrought by World War II. It would not reopen until the war ended in 1945. Though it took most of the 1950s and 60s to reclaim its former status as one of the greatest resort getaways in the North Americas, the war had not completely ruined the hotel's charm. Adapting it to the new economics of the era, several changes to the hotel provided it with new life. A pivotal point came in the night. After life? That's your part. (laughs) Oh, right, 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 sorry. A pivotal point came in the 1970s when the Banff Springs Hotel was winterized and began to stay open year-round. I mean, that's installing heating and, you know, water lines that aren't going to burst, so... Wait a minute, hang on. When was this? 1970s. And they're just now winterizing it? Just then winterized it, yeah. Is that when winter finally came to Canada? Or what took them so long? (laughs) What? I don't know what it didn't say. I don't get it. As, as such, it offered guests a bevy of new winter activities. Skiing, all that good stuff, because they're, you know, surrounded by dozens and hundreds of mountains. Um, dozens and hundreds. Which is it? <laughs> <laughs> and what were they doing before? Like, were they open, like, two months out of the year? <laughs> it's pretty much winter in Canada <laughs> from yeah. September to June. <laughs> Yeah, they were pretty much open April to September. That is it's kind of like the, you know, the Overlook Hotel in The Shining. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Um, more renovations and expansions were done a decade later, providing guests with the most cutting edge accommodations and amenities of the time. In the 1990s, Ted Kissane became the manager of the Banff Springs Hotel. He subsequently restored the Majestic Hotel, giving it the nickname Castle in the Rockies. Another series of expansions followed shortly thereafter, which saw the addition of a new spectacular facility called the Banff Springs Conference Center. In 2011, Canadian Pacific Limited, the parent company to Canadian Pacific Hotels, merged the brand with Fairmont Hotels and Resorts following a massive corporate reorganization. That fusion resulted in the Banff Springs Hotel getting renamed as the Fairmont Banff Springs. Um, with over 100 years in hospitality, the Fairmont Banff Springs staff are still trained in exceptional service and excellence. The rebirth of the hotel time and time again has provided guests with an incomparable access to the beauty of the Canadian Rockies. A proud member of historic hotels worldwide, the Fairmount Bound Springs continues to be among the best historic destinations in all of Canada. And that's what I've got. Good job. Good job. It's such a beautiful, beautiful place. And I know that... Huh? Yes, the pictures are amazing. Yes, I know every we've all seen that picture of the hotel in the middle of winter and it's surrounded by these like snow-covered mountains and trees and it's just stunning. It actually looks like it might be somewhere in Switzerland instead of Canada, which no offense Canada friends, sorry. I didn't Poor <laughs> Canada. I mean, they're one of our top countries that listen to us every single week. It's the first time we're doing a Canadian location, and I'm, we've been like, we got to go to Canada. We've got to do a location in Canada, and now it's over a year later, and we're finally showing love to our friends in the north, and we're so sorry. <laughs> uh, good job, Arch. That was a really good job. Um, all right, guys, you guys ready for some ghosts? Let's see what you got. Who just took off in their jet? <laughs> the <that> Laura. <laughs> Shut up by the by the airport. <laughs> but the Goodyear airport so it's like really like there's like I can't imagine that there's more than five people that are using that airport but it seems like every two minutes there's some little tiny plane taking yeah. off <laughs> well actually it's kind of refreshing because generally when Archie and I record here at my house it's a car roaring by oh god <laughs> and there's no way to edit that shit out it usually happens when one of us is talking and it's like well there goes Archie <laughs> Archie's yeah. done with it Okay, so Arch, <laughs> um, my source list is always 900 times longer than yours. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was a little disappointed. You're like, and I got mine from Historic Hotels. And I'm like, oh, that's it? Really? All right. <laughs> Sorry. Hmm. I got mine from hauntedrooms.com, avenuecalgary.com, curiosity.com, thelineup.com, which is becoming another Bible site for me. I love the lineup. Um, mint.ca, spookythingsonline.wordpress.com, projectengineer.com, and our favorite live studio audience, Nancy Hopper, C-H-H-E. I'll explain that when I get to that part. But she is okay. a source for me on this. Really? Episode, yes. Oh, how cool. I know, I'm super excited. <laughs> so you know how I love to start my part off with a quote or some fun thing that I've come across about the location? And I can't found this. <clears throat> In 
In 132 years, the popular Alberta vacation spot has allegedly set the scene for horrific murders, suicides, and terrible accidents. You know how we love a good, terrible hotel accident, Arch. (laughs) 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 Rooms have been boarded up and the paranormal are frequently recorded. So, Laura, you tell me. You've traveled a lot and stayed in a lot of hotels. Have you ever stayed in a hotel that has had a boarded up room? Not to my knowledge. I hope that I'm like not staying in places that feel the need to go through. <laughs> Trying to keep it, you know, at least like holiday in quality or something. <laughs> not staying at the crackdown down the street. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because we just last week we released the Congress Plaza Hotel in Chicago and they have their and they're not shy about it. They have rooms that is very clear they don't want people in. There's padlocks on them. They've like literally like drywalled over the door. Mm. I mean, it's very obvious that they have boarded these rooms up. And so then when I was doing our research, I was like, another hotel that's boarding up rooms and like padlocking doors and shit. So I was like, I'm going to have to ask Laura, have you ever been in a hotel where you've seen that happen? Not that I noticed. Now I'm going to look for it. Next time I, say, I was just going to say, <laughs> I was just going to say, but now you're going to start looking. Okay, so in this hotel, there is a secret room. And Archie, I think you didn't, you couldn't see me, but when you talked about the fire, my ears perked up because one of the first tales of this hotel deals with a so-called secret room. So apparently upon constructing the pre-fire building, (laughs) a room was inadvertently built without any windows or doors and subsequently was sealed up. Did you come across this room in your research? No. No? Okay. So apparently no adverse events occurred in this space, but visitors do report hearing unexplained noises and paranormal activity in the immediate area. So I guess when the original wood building burned down due to the fire you talked about, this mysterious room was discovered when they rebuilt the hotel. Wow. (laughs) So apparently there are no apparent reasons for the inexplicable apparitions and activity. Sorry, Laura. I know you're looking for evidence and apparently this room doesn't have any. (laughs) Doesn't. We we got no explanation. It's just happening. They just didn't like it. They just didn't like it. (laughs) Where's the door? Where's the fucking windows? This is obnoxious. I'm going to haunt it. Okay, so apparently there are no reasons, apparent reasons, for the apparitions and activity. However, there is some research that indicates that this room, when it was rebuilt, it did become combined with another room to make a large suite. So um, it it didn't stay secret for long. Um, The next one, and Arch, this is... (laughs) I love this. This is my favorite part of the whole entire um, haunting portion that I'm doing. This is where the, um, the stamp and the coin comes in that I asked you if you had come across. Oh, okay. Okay. So this is the burning bride. Apparently stories suggest that a woman, um, dressed in her wedding gown had lost her life on the staircase in the hotel. There are two different versions of this, uh, how she died. There were candles on the staircase when the bride was walking up to them, uh, when suddenly her dress caught fire and in a panic, she tripped and fell down the stairs, dying from a broken neck. Um, Another version says that she caught her heel in the hem of her dress. Um, And then others say that the dress, as she was going down the stairs, somehow it brushed up, like part of her dress 
brushed up against the candle's flame. Whatever the cause, the end result is the bride died on those stairs. So apparently this woman did die in the hotel. She was a bride. She was walking down the stairs and she did fall somehow. But the cause of the fall is up for interpretation. But many people have since reported seeing her ghost in her full wedding gown, often dancing in the ballroom, as well as on the staircase. Um, They've also, some guests and staff have witnessed the flames um, on her dress as she dances, which I think is creepy as hell and horrible. Mm. Um, And then again, others have witnessed the woman on the staircase where she lost her life. Now, staff have also reported strange noises coming from the bridal suite, even when the suite is vacant. And still others have felt the woman's presence in the bathroom at the top of the stairs, where she is also said to watch people. What is with these broads watching you in the goddamn bathroom? (laughs) (laughs) This is like the fourth location where the women's bathroom is haunted and some fucking ghost bitch is watching you do your business. Because we're always in line. So we're just used to being in there for quite a while. Do you know how pissed I'd be if in my afterlife I end up in a goddamn public bathroom waiting in line? Seriously. That's, <laughs> uh, you did something real messed up to have that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> apparently those who descend the stairs that she died on can sometimes feel, feel a chill breeze even when there is no draft. So like the doors to the hotel aren't open or anything like that. Um the coolest part of this entire story is that the ghost bride of Banff Springs has become so famous that she even has her own Canadian postage stamp and collector coin. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so in 2014, the 25 cent Cooper nickel coin, um, and they, they created this 25 cent Cooper nickel coin and this postage stamp. Um, the ghost bride had a limited mintage of 15,000 and both together retail for 29.95. So the Royal Canadian mints actual website <laughs> states, I was like, no way. Nope. It's legit. <laughs> they, the website states that quote, Canadians have long recounted ghost tales that delight and frighten people of all ages. Um, we're proud to produce coins that not only highlight such fascinating Canadian stories, but also create lasting impressions through the design and the innovative use of technology. Bringing intriguing Canadian tales out of the shadows is what stamps continue to do, said Mike Sheeran, the current general manager. We are pleased to join the Mint to highlight these stories and offer the perfect keepsake for those who revel in this particular type of folklore. It's not folklore, it's real. Mike Sheeran. <laughs> I'm kidding. We have long, <laughs> the regional vice president and, um, of the Fairmont Banff Springs, David Roberts, says we have long been known to visitors from around the world for the tragic tale of the ghost bride. Her chilling resemblance has been expertly captured on this new coin and stamp, which is a novel way for her spirit to live on beyond the walls of the hotel. And I thought that was the coolest shit I'd ever heard. <laughs> so we will definitely put pictures of the coin and the stamp on our social media. If you want to make a note of that, Mr. Mm-hmm. Social media. Uh, I can't. I'm <laughs> drinking. Sorry. <laughs> I can't. I'm taking a sip. Let me write it down. I, I'm always, I'm constantly saying, we're going to put pictures of this on our social media. And then it comes time to do it. And I'm like, what did I say we were putting on the social media? <laughs> <laughs> Is she on fire on the stamp? No, that'd be cool though. 
Like, yeah, it'd be cool if there was like flames like coming off the side. There. <laughs> Jesus. It, she does look right. Ethereal. A little bit morbid, but very cool. Very cool. She does look ethereal and creepy though. Um, it, it, they, the, they've captured this woman that it, it just, it just looks terrifying. I think um, it's beautiful, but also like super haunting. So hang on, I'm going to check this. Texas to you guys. She even looks dead. Ooh, that is pretty creeps. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. She also kind of looks like a sister wife, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't she look creepy? Like, I mean, and it's cool because you can see like like the hotel is in like the the background of her actual like like she's transparent. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Then with all the candles behind her, it's just mm-hmm. stunning. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And I the, think like, something. Like the hotel in the middle there. Yeah. Yeah, that looks really cool. I'm like, I'm up there. Yeah, that looks great. There's just something about her eyes that just looks like kind of well dead. Uh, they, I thought the artist did a, a fantastic job. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Isn't it cool? Mm-hmm. The listeners are probably like, what does it look like? Let us see. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are going on and on about this damn picture. Okay. So that is the ghost bride. And I thought that was super exciting. So I, or I, I did my research like a couple of weeks because we've been on hiatus for a while. So I've been doing my research. I've got it done for like the next three episodes. But um, I made a mental note to be like, if Archie comes across this, I'm going to tell him, don't say it in your part because I want to say it in mine. <laughs> and that's the kind of child co-host he has. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about the Bellman. And the Bellman, stories of this man, his name is Sam McCauley, who was a genial old Scotsman. Obviously, I've cut and pasted this because I don't ever use the word genial. <laughs> <laughs> But now you're the better for it. I am. I am. Um, like Archie in his part where he said, what it was, there were some words you used um, about the war. And I'm like, uh, he's clearly cut and pasted this. Oh, Archie. Words. He's never Rot. used it. Rot. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> so Sam McCauley was a genial old Scotsman who was, I guess, head bellman um, at the hotel during the 60s and 70s. Um, Apparently, his ghost has been reported and stories about him have been circulating around the hotel since he died in 1975. To say that Sam, this is a quote, sorry. To say that Sam loved working at the hotel would be an understatement. Retiring from his job on numerous occasions, he was always drawn back to the role he enjoyed so much. So kind of like Michael Jordan when he would retire and then come back and then retire and then go to this team and retire and go to baseball and retire and kind of like that. Um, (laughs) At one point, the aging Sam informed his friends and colleagues that when he died, he would return to haunt the Banff Springs Hotel. Um, And it seems as though he has. Um, Supposedly, he's a very helpful spirit. Um, Most stories tend to involve him... um, with mentioning some kind of service that he's provided to staff and guests. Uh, One incident that's fairly well known is that it involved two elderly women. And I guess they had called the bell desk for assistance when they found that their key wouldn't work because that always happens. Like my key doesn't work, my, you know, whatever. Um, 
the regular bellman was occupied with other duties and he actually didn't respond to them for 15 minutes. But by the time he arrived at their door, it was unlocked and they were already in their room. One of the women said that an older bellman in a plaid jacket, matching this Sam McCauley's description exactly, had helped them and let them into oh, their room. Well, that's cool. Um, other stories, including guests, uh, include guests seeing Sam um, in his old office, which I guess is now a guest room. Um, and that's located on the mezzanine floor, as well as seeing apparitions and feeling cold spots on the sixth, seventh, and ninth floors of the hotel. He has been known to appear in his 1960s uniform, helping guests get into locked rooms. He turns on room lights for them. He helps them carry their bags. And if you try to um, attempt to tip him or start, start a conversation, he will vanish, just like Archie. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try to start a conversation with Archie. <laughs> I, I need a ghost like this in my house, maybe just to help around a little bit. You know, like can we can we can I like get get this kind of service? Right. Can you have that light for me, Sam? Thanks. <laughs> and one that doesn't want to like get involved in a big long conversation, you know? That's would be doesn't so... want money. Exactly. Doesn't <laughs> want money, doesn't want to talk, just lets him do his job. I love it. Okay. So um the hotel, not only with the ghost bride and Sam, um, apparently the hotel has uh, other <laughs> ghosts that I think is fucking hysterical. And I feel like the three of us would come into contact with this particular ghost. Apparently there is the apparition of a bartender that has been witnessed by staff and guests alike, often informing guests that they have drunk a little too much and it's best if they go to bed. <laughs> so about 10 minutes after we got there we probably said that one yes it basically <laughs> yeah um maybe you guys should call it a night and go to bed Bye, yeah guys. so the, i mean we would probably see this but i feel like the last thing the three of us needs is a judgmental ghost at right? the bar <laughs> <laughs> like hey uh, can you bring that bellman guy over here right <laughs> he'll bring right. the drink yeah, I'm um, for us come here sam Sam, I'm going to need you to step in here. <laughs> um, there, This one, and I actually, I wrote this exactly how multiple articles referred to it as because I thought it was hysterical. There is a headless man who also has been seen at the hotel who, despite his obvious handicap, somehow manages to play the bagpipes. <laughs> <laughs> So, Laura, as the skeptic, I'm going to let you <laughs> comment on that one. Okay, well, growing up Irish, Catholic, I can tell you that you do indeed need a mouth to play the bagpipes. Do you? kind of required. Okay, okay, um, okay. So that one, like, where does the mouthpiece go? They see him playing the bagpipes, just like hangs in the air and... I don't... <laughs> Shove it down. Yeah, right. Can you What's do happening? that? I'm not really sure. Yeah, I, I in fact in my notes I wrote those that sentence and then in parentheses I wrote L M A O O O O O. I also like that they called him handicapped, but just having a head like I mean that was, that was brilliant writing. Right? Yes, exactly. I mean, it is a handicap, but that doesn't mean you can't be an effective ghost. Um <laughs> 
They have also said that, well, they'd rather not mention room numbers. There are specific rooms that the staff say are haunted. Guests have reported having the pillows yanked out from under their heads while they've slept, which I know. Everybody knows how I feel. Don't fuck with me while I'm sleeping. I don't like it. Don't do it. And certainly don't yank the pillow out from under my head. (laughs) Um, Or worse, being pushed off the bed by some unseen entity. And I think Arch in... um, Congress Plaza, there was that one broad that likes to kick people awake. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so whatever spirits haunt these rooms, this article ended with, whatever spirits haunt these rooms, it's safe to say that if they can't rest in peace, then they want to make sure that you don't either. <laughs> oh, okay, so now I want to talk about room 873. So this room was reportedly the scene of a tragic murder of a family. Um, its door has since been bricked up and made to look like the rest of the wall in the hallway. So again, just like Congress Plaza. Um, Guests have reported seeing apparitions outside this room, possibly members of the family that were reported to have been murdered here. So I guess before it was bricked up, guests in the room after the murder would report being awakened by screaming. When they would turn on the lights, they would see bloody handprints on the mirror. And I guess depending on who tells the story, the handprints would either disappear before hotel staff had a chance to clean them or they wouldn't come off at all. Um, yeah. And honestly, I, I think there's no, as far as my professional paranormal investigative training thus far, I have no explanation for that. There's no logical scientific explanation for that. In in that a stain on a mirror on like glass would not either not come off or I can I can see people seeing it on the mirror as sort of a hallucinatory thing maybe, but not being able to get it off I, I don't I don't know Laura what are you, what are your thoughts on something like that? Well, my only thought is, you know, when you have as I have a child and they put their hands on everything. <laughs> You have a mirror that has like handprints on it. It steams up. You could see the handprints. Okay. Um, I mean, as far as not being able to get them off, that is clearly not something that would be normal. Right. And they're Um, bloody. Yeah. I mean, the red. Yeah. 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 Normal handprints. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I heard that and I was like, "Mm, that's interesting. Unless it's just one of the, just like a hallucinatory thing. Um, are there photos or just... I haven't been able to find any photos of it. Um, and it was apparently just in this room where this man, this family annihilator, murdered his family and himself. So apparently if you visit the floor where the room should be, you'll find that the, the door, again, has been completely covered and is inaccessible from the hallway, which is either to obviously keep guests out of the supposedly haunted room or due to renovations of the room, depending on what member of staff you ask. So the Springs Hotel representatives, I guess like the official mouthpieces, director of sales, GM, whoever, assert that the murder-suicide is merely a gory ghost story, no such crime occurred, and there is no blood-spattered room sealed behind a brick wall. Nevertheless, Some enterprising guests have done their own detective work in an attempt to prove that room 873 did, in fact, exist. So apparently on other floors of the hotel, there are rooms ending in the number 73, except on the eighth floor. 
The baseboard, uh, right? Yeah. So the baseboard where room 873 would be is cut as if there was a door there. And then the corresponding light on the ceiling is also by the door. Um, or what would have been where the door was. So if you knock along the walls between each room, which I'm sure is not annoying at, at all to the guests <laughs> in those fucking rooms. <laughs> but if you knock along the walls between each room, you'll hear a sound tap, tap, tap. But where 873 is alleged to have been, instead, when you tap on it, you'll hear a lighter, hollow-seeming sound, which, again, is back to Congress Plaza in those rooms that have been are very obviously walled up, and the hotel doesn't hide that. You knock on that wall, section of wall, you can hear that it's hollow, that there's an expanse behind the wall. So... Um, I feel like the hotels would be smarter. If all the hotels that I worked at, like, I feel the hotels would be smarter, smart enough to make it less obvious that there used to be a goddamn door there. (laughs) I I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, Other guests claim (laughs) that despite the hotel's best effort, Efforts. The ghosts of room 873 are still very much in residence at the hotel. Some have actually reported seeing the spirit of the young daughter standing outside her room as if lost, which if I were to see that, that would break my heart before it would terrify me. Um, since the room has been sealed, I, there other people have reported the impression of a small child sometimes appears on the wall where the door should be. Um, and this image has also been successfully photographed by some guests I didn't Google search that, but believe me, I'm going to, to see if anybody has posted those photographs online. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on the room so far or the rumor of the room so far? I'd be curious to see if you could find the actual evidence of the um, crime to see if it was actually really happened. Um, yeah. And if it has, um, I'm surprised that they don't, with all the ghost stuff and how it's so popular that they would not even like that they wouldn't open it up and let people stay there unless it's truly terrifying and they're afraid it's going to scare people away. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh yeah. I totally agree. Arch, what do you think? I'm with Laura on this one. Yeah. Yeah. So <clears throat> I'm glad you guys say that because the next thing I want to talk about is this projectengineer.com article I came across. And it was a pretty fascinating article, actually. Um, And I, again, I included it in my part for the benefit of our new team skeptic, Laura. (laughs) And this is where um, my mom's information comes in. Uh, Because I was going through this article and I'm reading it and I'm like, I actually need to ask my mom some questions Um, because so when I cited my mother as a source, I cited her as Nancy Hopper, C-H-H-E, because she is a certified hospitality housekeeping executive. And those are actually her official on her business cards that she had that certification behind her name on her card. So I was like, (laughs) mommy, I need help. Um, In this article, this guy goes on a real fucking deep dive about this room. So 
He writes that, quote, I am not a ghost story enthusiast, and this blog is most definitely not about ghosts. But the last part of that story caught my attention and got me going on an information hunt that I want to share. And boy, did he. So he said the fact that the hotel has been barricaded um, or the fact that the hotel has barricaded the room is a piece of hard, verifiable evidence And the more I walk past it, the more I find myself wanting to know what is behind this weird wall. So he goes on to say that he did some sleuthing during his stay there. And he says, I will share with you the information I obtained from three sources, the concierge, the housekeeping staff, and other evidence. And I thought, dude, oh my God, were you on vacation? Were you there to work? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. So he says, before I share that, I need to develop some context by showing you what you'll see when you come up here. There is no room 873 per se. From the hallway, there is a room 871 and 875 with an unusually large gap in between them. Where the door to room 873 seems like it should be, the wallpaper is peeling. Apparently, many people knocked on the wall and report hearing different sounds, Coming from where room 873 should be as if it is bricked in or similar or hollow behind the knocks. Okay. So he goes on and we've all stayed in hotels. We already all know this. It's not Canada building code. It's every room, hotel room all over the world. But he goes on to say, fortunately, the Alberta building code requires every room to have a floor plan showing a path to the fire exit. We've all seen it. It's on the back of the hotel door. It's a map of the floor. And it says, we're here. And this is how you get out if the building is on fire. So um, he shows the picture of the floor plan (laughs) in their room, which clearly shows the former room 873 being contained within a larger room of 875. So you guys know what these maps look like. Like Mm -hmm. they do show each individual room and the map that he shows will also put that on our social media, but it does look like 875 at one point was adjoined with what would have been 873. Um, So, Then he went down to the concierge's desk and the concierge's answer was clear. Ghost stories about room 873 are a hoax. That was their exact word. It was combined with room 875 during a renovation resulting in room 875 simply being twice as big. This has happened in many other places within the hotel, which I guess the guy later confirmed by walking into some of these other wings. So, I mean, that's not uncommon to, you know, make one room like a suite in a hotel when you're doing renovation. It's not uncommon. Um, There are, however, some interesting things I concluded after my five-minute conversation with the concierge. One, this was a clearly well-trained response and thus can probably be assumed as the hotel's official position. The concierge insisted that there are other ghosts in the hotel, such as Sam McCauley, the bellman, and the ghost bride, and even told me some stories. Hence, they seemed very interested in promoting ghost stories in general, perhaps because they add to the mystique of the hotel and thus bring in paying customers. But a horrible triple murder, not so much. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. So 
The author goes on to say, if the ghost story in room 873 were real, it would seriously discourage, not encourage paying customers. I mean, who would want to stay in a room or even a floor with a reputation like that? Um, you would. <laughs> well, I think I know a couple people that might be interested. I mean, <laughs> and drag their friends along with them. Uh, I mean, I can't, I can't go by myself. What if I get murdered <laughs> by a ghost? Um, <laughs> so he said that he then waited for one of the housekeeping staff to emerge from their cleaning duties. And he basically went up to them and like assaulted them with questions. Um, so this one room attendant apparently was cleaning a room down the hallway from 873. He says maybe two rooms in the direction of the elevators, for example, around room 869 or 867. This person initially said that many people come to take a video of the hallway and the general area the room was in. Um, I asked if she had been in room 875. Of course, she says, there's nothing to see. Uh, he asked, does the housekeeping staff switch between different wings and floors? Yes, every day. So there are lots of people who have been in there or on this wing. And she said, yes. Can you please let me inside room 875? No, sorry, we can't do that. And there might be a guest in there right now. So he goes on to say, this conversation happened at about 9.30 a.m. on a Saturday. So indeed, it was not past checkout time yet. She clearly did not know if someone was staying in room 875, even though she was cleaning only a few doors down from it. Maybe this is normal. So this is where I went to my mom. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> so my mother spent her entire career um, in housekeeping in hotels, and she ended up she started working at the Camelback Inn in 1970. She retired in 2006. She started as a linen room attendant at the Camelback Inn, and she retired as the executive director of housekeeping from Crown Plaza Hotels in 2006. For anybody that might question her expertise. Also, I wanted to brag about my mother. <laughs> um, so I talked to her and, um, again, who of anybody would know exactly how this room attendance schedule would have been. And so the guy questioned like why she wouldn't know if there was a guest in that room. I asked my mom about, well, how is it possible? Like, how would this woman not have known there was a guest in that room? So she said that essentially each morning, depending on the occupancy of the hotel, the housekeeping manager or supervisor will run the report of rooms that are occupied dirty or vacant dirty, which are the checkouts. Um, and the, the rooms are assigned numerically. So a typical section is generally comprised of about 15 to 18 rooms that one girl can clean in an eight-hour day. So it's entirely possible that this room attendant wouldn't know if the room was occupied or vacant, if it wasn't actually on her specific list of rooms to clean that day. So him questioning that maybe she wasn't being entirely forthcoming and how weird it was she didn't know if somebody was in there is, is entirely legitimate because if she was, it wasn't on her paper, she wasn't going to give a fuck what was going on in that room. Right. Basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> also, I've worked in hotels. I spent the first 10 years of my career in hotels. I'm going to tell everybody right now that no, no hotel employee is going to let a random guest into any guest room not rented to them, even if it's vacant for any reason. And certainly right. not so they can hunt for ghosts or check to see if the hotel is hiding a purported murder room. <laughs> some strange man comes up to you at your job and is like hey come uh, let me in this room over mm. here 
that's haunted. Come on, it'll be fun. Exactly. No. Exactly. It's just not going to fucking happen. So, uh, <laughs> that's my little interjection um, <laughs> for this guy because the minute I read that he was questioning the room attendant, I was like, no, I need that. Mother, <laughs> help me here. Um, so, the guy does go on to say that here are my conclusions from my approximately five minute conversation with the room attendant. Um, which, by the way, I'm calling them room attendants and housekeeping, but he's calling them the maid and the cleaning staff, which, no. So, although they laughed at the question about ghost stories, obviously it was not the first time, unlike the concierge, they did not seem like they were providing a well-rehearsed story. There are many different staff members that have been and regularly go into room 875. There are also guests that stay there. This person has personally never seen anything out of the ordinary, and has never seen a lonely little girl walking all by herself. That being said, she is more often on other floors. Now, Archie, didn't you say it was like 11 floors, 11 stories? Didn't um, you? Originally, yeah. Oh, before it burned down or? Before it burned down, they had a spectacular 11-story foyer. Right, right, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he concludes with, although it may seem anticlimactic, I believe fairly strongly that this ghost story is just a hoax. Is just a hoax, just like the hotel concierge says that it is. Furthermore, the stories I've read are highly devoid of details. When did the event occur? When, who discovered the murders? How old were the victims, especially the little girl? One would expect more details, even ones that have changed and become incorrect over time, if it was a real event. Um, although the lack of a bricked-in room doesn't necessarily negate the whole ghost story, it is a fairly integral part of it, and that I have to agree with. If you're going to have this claim of a triple murder and a resulting paranormal event, a murder in a hotel is going to make fucking news. You know what right. I mean? Like, it's just yeah. going to make news. Especially such a grisly murder. You know, yeah. it would be really hard. I mean, if they were very, it was a very prominent hotel, depending on what time it happened, they might have been able to shush it down, you know, um, based yeah. on the, you know, just right. the power of the hotel and and that and they didn't wouldn't want to bring the negative publicity. I can see that, you know, but yeah, still there would probably be some record somewhere. Right, I agree. Um, because didn't you say Archit like was started in 1886? I mean, it's an old fucking hotel. Mm-hmm. So it's entirely oh, yeah. possible that if it happened in the 1800s, but I still think something like that would have made in some sort of paper. But anyway. Yeah. Um he ends with, maybe I'm just a layperson who stayed in a hotel with a ghost story and isn't a real believer in the cause, but this ghost story down the hall has kept me interested during my stay in Banff, and I hope that I have asked a few questions so that you don't have to, or maybe I have started an investigation that you can continue. And I loved that. I loved that. I thought, why not? If you want to go there, like, why wouldn't you? Maybe you want to do a little bit more investigating. Certainly, the paranormal investigators that I know would absolutely do that. Um, so that's kind of what I've got for the ghosts and the hauntings of the Banff. I really love the friendly bellman who doesn't want to be paid and he doesn't want to talk to you, but he's willing to help you do everything else. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm highly amused by the headless ghost that still can play bagpipes. And I kind of dare the, you know, judgy bartender for cutting me off, like cut me off. Let's see what happens. <laughs> So in closing, from curiosity.com, I found this and I thought it was perfect. Um, (laughs) They say, we're not sure if we buy into any of these myths, stories, and legends. 
but we do get a bit of a funky shiver whenever we're at this resort ourselves. It could be a chill from an open window or the presence of the lost and the damned. Really though, if you're ever in the area, check it out. You can view their website at, and then give the website, I'll give it in a minute. <laughs> the food is excellent. <laughs> the view is incredible. And the spa is bomb diggity. So what if the company is undead? In 2020, there's no room for discrimination. <laughs> Uh, that's great. <laughs> I thought that was so perfect. So, um, yeah, in my know before you go, uh, you can visit them. Their website is fairmont.com. They are located at 405 Spray Avenue, Banff, Alberta, T1L1J4, Canada, or you can call them at 1403-762-2211 for reservations. The rate range of this hotel um, in December is 240 to $434. January, $171 to $407, and February, $251 to $345 per night. So all pretty reasonable, but also seems excessively high for the winters that that joint gets. <laughs> so that's what I have on the Fairmont Banff Springs Hotel. Guys, what do you think? Oh, that's great. That actually yeah. just makes me want to go there really bad. <laughs> but not in the winter. But not in the winter. Oh, no, the winter might be nice, all the snow on the mountains. It might be kind of nice, yeah. If they had fireplaces in the rooms, which maybe they do, I don't know. I didn't really look too deep into that. Might be kind of cool. Anyway, so that's it, guys. That's what we have for this episode. Um, Laura, for your first episode, you did a great job. What are your thoughts, takeaways on the, your first episode? Um, I just really enjoyed it. I don't really have too many takeaways. I thought the stories were very interesting. Um, I really liked the bride ghosts. Um, right. I think she is my favorite. I think so and the, too. And the stamp is amazing. Plus, the visual of uh-huh. some woman tumbling down the stairs in a bridal dress on fire. On it's fire. tragic. And, you know, but also. <laughs> yeah, but also kind of like, I don't know, like tragic, but kind of beautifully tragic. I don't know. I yeah, can't like, like, put yeah. my finger on it. Yeah. Kind of like some Victorian style. I don't know. That's how it is in my head, you know. Dress, you know, just tragic, but yeah, yeah, interesting and beautiful. And Uh the stamp is gorgeous. The artist did a a phenomenal job. Um, So we'll definitely put that on all of our social media, so you guys can take a look at it. Um, And yeah, Arch, why don't you close it out by letting everybody know where they can find us? We can be found everywhere you enjoy your favorite podcasts. We are all over social media at HOH podcast and HOHpodcast.com as well as Patreon at HOH podcast. <laughs> good job. Good job. Um, <laughs> Archie bless his heart. He, we were interviewed the other couple weeks ago and he was like, she always makes me do this. And I always forget. <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't like to be put on the spot. There's a difference. <laughs> he knows exactly everything. But like, if you ask him like, a bullet out of a gun. He's like, ah! I, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so anyway, all right. Well, Laura, I'm going to let you close it out. So tell the fans goodbye. Like, see them next week. Like, I'm going to let you close this episode out. All right. Goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next week for more ghostly tales. <laughs> yes. Next week is going to be a good one. And we're actually getting ready to record it right now. But yeah, next week is going to be a really good one. So uh bye guys we will see you in our next location and i think that's it all right take care